Podcast Magazine takes readers into the lives of today's leading podcasters and beyond the microphone of the shows fans love. Each month, Podcast Magazine's dedicated writers share personal interviews, exclusive categorical charts, industry happenings, and more. This month's issue features a special sit-down with Ture, who shares how to unlock the doors to success and find purpose in life and career. Get a free lifetime subscription while you can at podcastmagazine.com. I imagine that there's a younger girl listening to this who's like, oh my God, I want to make a movie. I want to be like her. Oh, good. Talk to her. How do you make a movie? Read a lot of books. Read a lot of novels. Read like an obsessive amount. Reading fiction in particular is as important as watching movies. Um, I think that it's just about getting used to having other people's voices in your head um, and getting comfortable with that. And I think that it's right and true to just copy other people. My first short film was basically just a ripoff of that movie Brick in 10 minutes. And I think that I learned a lot from doing stuff like that, just like copying and figuring out how, what my version of this person is, because that I think is also a part of writing, which is just imitating other people's forms of speech. It takes a lot to be a director. You have to have a photographer's eye, a writer's ability to tell stories. You got to be able to work with actors and lighting people and money focused producers. And you have to have a perspective on film and film history so much. We've had several directors on the show from Spike Lee to Boots Riley to Reggie Hudlin. And this week, this week, I'm thrilled to introduce you to a name I think you'll be hearing a lot over the next decade Taya Risha Poe. She directed a really smart, moody, captivating film called Sella and the Spades that's on Amazon about the cliques of this particular private school and the badass black girl who dominates the whole social system. We talk about her film and filmmaking in general and her opinion on modern film. So if there's anyone who dreams of becoming a filmmaker, hopefully you can listen to this and get some technical advice as well as some inspiration. This is the Patreon era of Torre show, so you can listen to half of this ep for free. But if you want the full ep, go to patreon.com slash Torre show and subscribe to support our growing team. And for just $5 a month, you get the full version of our Wednesday episodes and our Friday exclusives just for our Patreon family, which includes eps with Malcolm Gladwell. Morris Day, ZZ Packer, Lil Yachty, Neil deGrasse Tyson, Sheila E., and many more. Please go to patreon.com slash Show to sign up. For now, let's dive into the mind of a great young filmmaker. It's Terry Chapeau on Torre Show. What was the first time that you thought, I should make movies? What made you think that? Um, there's this movie, La Jetée, by Chris Marker. It's like a half-hour short film made almost entirely of voiceover narration and photographs. Do you know that movie, 12 Monkeys? Yeah, yeah. Brad Pitt? Uh, mm, 
no, what's his name? Um, the guy from The Fifth Element. Oh, Bruce, Bruce Willis. Bruce Willis. Yeah, yes, yeah, yes, 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 yeah. yes, yes, yes. So La Jete is what um, 12 Monkeys is based on. And I saw that actually my first year at prep school when I was 14. And I had no idea that you could put a bunch of photographs next to each other and call it a short film until I saw that. And so it sort of changed my perspective on what a film even is. And I feel like ever since then, I've just been pushing myself to ask myself that question. If I like the the project that Sell in the Spades was based on is this um this multimedia project that I made called Sell in the Spades and Overture, which was like short stories that I'd written, uh, short films that I made, photographs, you know, a mixtape of songs playing throughout the website, all about these characters and their world and their factions. And I did all that because I didn't know how to make a film, but I knew how to make like stories. I knew how to tell a story. So I was just trying to figure out how to make a film in the way or in the same way that I tell all the other stories that I've been telling, um, which is just putting that story in whatever format that story tells me it needs to be in, which sounds so You made a great film. Thank you. (laughs) How did you learn how to make a film? Uh, Watching them mostly. I mean, I don't want to. Home film school? I know I didn't go to film school. I went to college, and just that like was home. oh home to film, home film school. Is that what you said? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> home film school. I'm gonna have to tell that to my mom because I was homeschooled when I was a kid. Um, and then I guess yeah, watching a lot of film, but also just like like in my family, we watch a lot of movies, and we did when I was a kid too. We watch a lot of movies together, and then we really like to just talk about them and just like go on and on about things and ask each other questions and critique it together. So I'm so used to like going to the movies with my family and then getting it like I have a very large family and then all of us getting in the car together at the end and just talking about the movie. Um, And it wasn't until I have five brothers. So it's pretty big. What number are you? I'm second to youngest. Yeah. Yeah. I love my family. They're all really cool. Five brothers. That sounds like a lot. It's a lot. And um, (laughs) which is like whenever I tell people I have a lot of brothers, they're always like, oh, wow, that must have been really tough for you as the only girl. But I was definitely like, like the image that we have of like rambunctious masculine boys is how I was as a little kid. And my brothers were all very calm and sort of very... um, very just like grounded in their presence and they just like take their time and think about things and ask about people's emotions. And I'm constantly just like, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. And like butting heads with them. So it was really good. Or I I think growing up with them made me calm down a lot. So. So what were the movies that you watched that really taught you how to make a movie? The Matrix was yeah. a big one. We watched that a lot growing God, up. The Matrix has had the Matrix. a massive influence on everything in visual How could it not? It. I mean, every, like you think about, you remember in the first Matrix, like in the first few minutes when Trinity jumps up, freezes in the air and all the bullets are whizzing past. And she, yeah, the camera Bullet goes like time. this. It's just, it's a, after that, everything. everybody was doing it. Yeah. The Matrix yeah. totally changed my life. I mean, I know that 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 a piece of art is really powerful when it's sort of like, like stays in you like the way like grape juice like stains your teeth like i never look at like a garbage truck the same 
Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I never look at like a phone booth as in yeah, there are yeah. phone booths, but like a garbage truck. But when you truck. see a phone booth now, I feel like even more so than just like, oh, there's no more phone booths. As soon as I see a phone booth, the first thing I think about is the Matrix because there's so few of them now. And that green. Yeah. Which used to be ubiquitous, but now you barely, but like that computer green yeah, is tech like, green. only think of the Matrix. Yeah. Yeah. Or anytime you see like numbers just flowing on a screen like this yeah. up and down the Matrix, it's... I don't know where I would be without the matrix, not in like a an existential crisis kind of way, but just like, I don't know if I would have understood the power of movies. Mm, I don't know if I understood like the, almost like the, the religious power of movies yep. until growing up and thinking about the effect that the matrix had on me as a kid. So, yeah. Okay, yeah. so matrix, what else? The Dark Crystal is another big one. Never Ending Story was a huge one. Um, Never Ending Story, Atreyu? Yeah. Oh, my God. Oh my Absolutely God. broke me. Oh, my God. <laughs> Absolutely broke. I feel like I, the great thing about having a bunch of older brothers or older siblings is that, like, I grew up watching a lot of stuff that I feel like if you didn't have older siblings but you were born in 1990, then you would have missed it. Like, The Dark Crystal and The Never Ending Story or, like the obsessive amount of times that I've seen um, The Princess Bride or like, mm. oh God, like Page Master. Do you remember the story, that movie Page Master? Does anyone remember Page Master? It was like half animated, half not animated. And it was like this boy like was living within the pages of a book, basically. So all of these stories are just like, or the stories that I gravitate towards the most are stories that are about living within a story. Even The Matrix is kind of about living within a story or a fiction, rather. Sure. Um, and I think that that is what, that's what I like about any other, I just like stories that are about storytelling. That's mm. why I really love that M. Night Shyamalan movie, even though I always get flack for it, Lady in the Water. I think it's his best one. And it's just because it's about storytelling. Um, so I think that's why I make movies is because I like telling stories. Okay. Okay. Anything else that had a huge filmic impact? Eve's Bayou by Casey Lemons was yes. a big one. Um, Do the Right Thing by Spike Lee was a huge one for, I think, every Everyone. black person, but also just every person. Why in particular? Yeah. Um, I think the power of telling a story over one day. Mm. It's just like he has this, or in that movie, he for me, he made me realize that like, the smallest moment you could tell you could tell a really long story out of a very small moment and stories aren't necessarily these grand sweeping epics where you're going through like to save a princess in a castle and you have to like you know fight a dragon or something a story can be one block in one neighborhood on one very hot summer day and that's the story things will explode from there so once i when i saw that as a kid it kind of just changed how much attention I was paying to the world around me. I feel like I started paying more attention to the world after seeing that movie. Um, because it's just like, everything is a story. Every, which sounds, again, it sounds so trite to say everything is a story to people who are trying to learn how to write stories or asking for advice about making stories. But it's true. Everything is a story. Every bit of like, all the words that are coming out of the people's mouths around you, that's all dialogue. Like you can use that. You can learn from it. That's what I like about that's what I like about telling or making stories through film is that I get to recreate my vision of the world around me. And I'm very interested in just, you know, how my vision of the world 
is different from reality. So how did this process, how did this piece begin? Selling the Spades? Yeah. Um, it started as a short story called Sella um, that I wrote in 2013 because I was working at my, I graduated from college in 2012, Swarthmore College, and I started working there in the fall in the media center. So I basically never left. And the experience of, or experiencing that moment of stasis in my life and just feeling like, ah, yes, the same dining hall and the same buildings and the same professors, except now I'm an employee and I have like health insurance and retirement plan and I'm an adult, but I'm still in the exact same place that I was last year. That experience sort of made me, it made me worry that I would always feel stuck in the same place. And so I wanted to write a story about a girl who was constantly blowing things up in order to do whatever she wanted to do and who didn't really get bogged down with like consequences. Um, because I think that's the like the heart or the reason a lot of us don't, at least for me, the reason I don't change things in my life is because or the reason that we don't change things in a big way tends to be because we're afraid of the consequences of our actions, which is great. I think we should all think about the consequences of our actions. But for me, it was just fun to let a fictional character do whatever the hell they wanted to do. So that's where the story started. Um, and then I just sort of put it to the side until Beyonce dropped self-titled in 2013, December. Um, maybe it was 2014. No, 2013 in December. And her dropping that changed my life because... I didn't, it's like there's, I think it's just like witnessing a person, witnessing a person have that sort of work ethic where they can create something so wholly original and release it in such an original way and just have the certainty that that's the right thing to do. Um, made me think me not creating whatever stories I'm trying to create wasting time at whatever job I'm wasting time at is just like, this is my life. If I don't write these stories, then I'm just wasting my life. So in a weird way, Beyonce convinced me to stop wasting my life. And then I started writing a story every day for a month about Sela and about her world and about these factions. And at the end of the month, I took, excuse me, I took those stories and I chose the ones that felt most fully formed and turned it into the overture, that multimedia project I was talking about. Um, yeah, so it's been like a journey of this story being told in so many different mediums, which has been fun. Um, and I think that that's why a lot of people who watch it, they often talk about how it feels like this this full world that you kind of want to play in or live in. I mean, yeah, it sounds like you have spent a lot of time really thinking about the story. Yeah. And so so we feel that on the screen that she deeply understands this story, that it's not this, you know, like, like the, the, the bottom of the iceberg is like really big that you can't see yeah. under <laughs> because you've been working through it in many different ways. Yeah. It's not just a script. It was also all these other pieces before. Totally. I mean, do you know Sela? Like, do you know a person like her? I mean, she's powerful. Yeah. She's violent. Yeah. She's 
I'm not sure if she's a hero or an anti-hero. I think she's a hero to herself. Yeah, but she's also a bit of a <laughs> menace to her society. Yeah, and to herself. <laughs> like, let's be real. I don't think she's making, she's always, I don't think that she always makes the right choices for herself and like for her health and well-being, um, let alone other people around her. She's kind of a mafia boss. Oh, she's 100% a mafia boss. Without a doubt. Godfather, love the Godfather. Like, that is, you wait, should go wait, into it. Wait, wait, one that. or two? Oh, one is my favorite. One better than two? I didn't say it was better than two. Well, I just said it was better. my favorite. Oh, well, two is better. Okay, but okay, one okay, is okay, my favorite. Okay, okay. And what's more important? Um, so, no, it's, it's a, uh, yeah, she's, I think that she, and that was really important in directing Lovey, who plays Sella. And Lovey knows this whole, and believes it wholeheartedly that Sella is a hero to herself. That's the most important thing. Because if you, or like I, Tyresha, I don't walk through the world, <clears throat> excuse me, I don't walk through the world thinking today I'm somebody's villain. Or like today I'm the anti-hero of my story. It's like, no, I'm the hero of my story. That's life. Um, and so I think that being able to do that, or it was fun to do that and have that attitude with a character who is so clearly willing to cause damage um because even people who cause damage deserve to not be left alone at the end and deserve a chance to do the right thing oh spike lee do the right thing yeah <laughs> so it all connects yeah we live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door Thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy. And we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy. And I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer. Because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. One of the people who helped inspire me to want to be in broadcasting is Oprah Winfrey. She's an inspiration for so many of us, but her daytime talk show was so incredible. And it told me that you could be black and authentic and real on TV. And that made me want to do it, too. Black Stories, Black Truths is NPR's new collection that's a celebration of blackness. Each of NPR's black voices are as direct, varied, distinct and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and how to create world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account of what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. Black perspectives that haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story, but now they are the story. On NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. 
Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center Black voices. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as varied, as nuanced, and as Black as we are. Stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get your podcasts. Influencer. It's a word that gets tossed around a lot these days. There is a woman who went the distance, who broke ground as the first true influencer by living a remarkable life. Her name, Elizabeth Taylor. I'm Katy Perry. This is the story of the original influencer. This is Elizabeth the First. Elizabeth the First, the podcast, wherever you listen. If you love Toray's show and you miss the days of me talking about politics on MSNBC, and really, who doesn't, then check out my other podcast, Democracy-ish, where I sit with Danielle Moody-Mills and argue and strategize about the 2020 race from a Black and progressive perspective. The only personality, Toray, that we need to care about, we need to squash, we need to stop, is Donald Trump. That's it. You can find Democracy-ish wherever podcasts are streamed. All right, back to Toray's show. Casting is a critical part yeah. of making a film. Totally. How old is your lead character? When we shot, she was 18. Oh, no, she just turned nine. No, she was 18. 18, 19, playing someone who is a... 17, 18. Senior in mm-hmm. high school. Yeah. So it's close. How did you know? Know what? She... She can carry a film because you're putting a ton of trust in your lead <laughs> actor. Um, talking to her, as soon as I talked to her, it was just like, it was just, it was it. That was game over. She, Lovey has, first of all, she's a kid. She's a teenage girl. So she is right there with what, the people in the script are going through like those moments of being teenagers and feeling like, you know, feeling like you could die when you get your heart broken because you've never had your heart broken before. You don't know if you'll survive these emotions. So she understands that, but it's also just that lovey as a person is really smart. (laughs) It's like, is really smart in such an emotional way. Like she doesn't separate being able to think logically or think critically about something from, you know, being able to think emotionally about something or to be able to just like talk about her gut. She has no fear of her gut feelings. She'll lean into them. And so all of that together, just through conversation with her, it was, I, it just felt so right. It was my gut and my mom's gut as well, because my mom also told me that I should cast her. So she a producer on this? Or just, no, just she just really advisor. loves to share her opinion about things. And you know what? She's usually really right. So okay. I have no problem listening to her. But it's just like a gut feeling as soon as I met her. Um, yeah, same with Jarrell and same with Celeste, who play uh, Maxie and Paloma. Did you cast Jarrell in this <laughs> before um, When They See Us? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Because um, he, when I did the Sundance Directing Labs in 2017, they let you bring a few actors with you to act out some scenes. And he was one of the ones that I brought for Maxie. Um, and it's really funny, actually. <laughs> so we knew we were going to use him in the movie the next year um, when we shot in 2018. But 
I think it was like his agent or something had reached out and said, oh, he has a beard and like a mustache going on right now. Do you want him to shave? And I was like, yeah, he needs to shave. Absolutely. And so he shaved for the movie. And I think like the next day he had a callback for when they see us. And Ava seeing him shaved was like, okay, yes, he could play the younger kid and the older kid. So he was so hyped when he got to set. So that was really cool. Um, But that was before all of that. And it's just been so cool to watch him grow. He's brilliant He's also, great. just so He's everybody great. knows. How'd you get Jesse Williams? I asked him. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, oh, yeah, sure, yeah, yeah, sure. No, our casting director <laughs> asked him, but he was so down. He went to a boarding school and he, um, he uh, went to, he also went to, I don't know if it was like for his master's or something. He went to school at Temple where my dad he and my dad have the same academic friends, basically. And then he was a teacher. My parents are teachers. So we had a lot in common when we talked. It just felt very natural for him to be involved in it. He was great. He is uh, great. He was really funny. He is great. Um, so what's it mean to be a director? I mean, it's a lot. I've been on a couple of sets. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that stands out is that the director is really going left brain and right brain all the time and dealing with the story aspect, which is very creative Mm. and subjective and that piece. And then technical, the cameraman or cinematographer cinematographer is coming, you know, what about this and this light angle and this, and like you have to be able to switch back and forth quickly and then talk to your actors and not like tell them like, more like this but like work with them and like it's like multiple different modes of thinking are rapidly going between each shot and like you know and you have to be super well planned about what you're doing because there's a producer usually there going like okay oh yeah time is money like (laughs) um so many different parts of a human being are coming into play at once so like how do you do it um I find it very thrilling to have to do everything all at once. So I really like the like, I think that I thrive in chaotic environments because when there's chaos all around me, my natural thing to do is just be very calm and to just sort of figure it out. Take things one at a time. Give me everything you got. We'll figure it out. I think that's because my mom is similar or probably because she she grew up in a large family and then my parents have a large family with us. Um, and so whenever we would come to my mom with all of these like freak outs of just like nothing is going right. Everything is awful. I don't know what to do. She had a lot of teenagers in the house at the same time. Um, she would just look at us and say, well, whatever happens is what's supposed to happen. So whatever happens is what happens. And that was just it, which was so frustrating at the time. Very frustrating. So frustrating. It was just like, Whatever happens, happens. It's like, yes, but how do I fix it and get what I want? She's like, oh, you're just going to have to deal with what you get. And I was just like, what is going on? As a child and as a teenager, that was incredibly frustrating. But as an adult, it it did give me a sense of, you know, I can work with whatever. So that said, being on set and having all of these different things to handle it's not just like oh I Tyresha the director am in charge of making sure all of these things get done but it's more about I Tyresha can choose to work with my collaborators and lean on my collaborators for when they just have a better answer than I do or when they know something that I don't know 
So for me, I find it really being a director is more about collaboration for me than anything else, because you have to be able to you have to be able to build a team who or you have to be able to craft a team filled with people who are better at what they do than you are um, so that then you could just sort of chill. You could step back and you can just direct. I think a lot of directing is just giving people permission to be the best version of whatever they are. Um, actors, cinematographers, you know, your um, co costume, whatever. It's just everything, every single part of this process of making a film requires people to feel like they have space and space and energy to not just be the best thing that they can be, but also to, you know, make mistakes and try new things and experiment. How do you write a script? God, that's a really good question. It's, um, uh, it's, uh, I'm writing my second movie right now and wow. that's been kind of fascinating because I have to ask myself, oh, how do you begin a movie? Or like, how do you have an ending? Or what happens in the middle of these things? Um, but I think for me, the way that I keep, or whenever I'm writing a new script. What does eating healthy mean to you? Whatever your eating goals, Thrive Market is the best place to get all your groceries and household essentials. And getting Thrive shipped to your door is like having a great supermarket right outside your house. I love that Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and ethical sourcing methods. Whether you're looking for organic kid snacks or low sugar alternatives or gluten-free essentials, Thrive Market's got it and their site lets you curate your shopping experience quickly. And as a Thrive member, I save on every order, usually about 30%, which of course I love. And when you join, you help a family in need with the membership matching program. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a $60 gift for free. Go to thrivemarket.com slash for 30% off your first order plus that free $60 gift. That's Thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E Market. Dot com slash Toray. Thrivemarket.com slash Toray. On March 16th, 2000, two sheriff's deputies were shot in Atlanta. Jamil Alamine, a Muslim leader and former black power activist, was convicted. But the evidence was shaky, and the whole truth didn't come out during the trial. My name is Mosi Secret, and when I started investigating this case in my hometown, I uncovered a dark truth about America. From Tinderfoot TV, Campside Media, and iHeart Podcasts, Radical is available now. Listen to the new podcast, Radical, for free on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. The thing that I return to is just prose fiction. So I like to start off any project with um, like short stories. And I just write a bunch of vignettes in, you know, the style of prose that I write and just I write like that. And when I feel like I have a sense of who these people are, then I start to switch it over into writing it as a script and thinking about things as like, you know, a movie as opposed to just a story in my head. So I guess my answer is I write a script by thinking about it as what it is. It's just a story. I mean, one of the things that's tricky is dialogue and getting natural sounding conversations between the people. Oh yeah. <laughs> and you do that really well Thanks. Um, in this, but like, how do you get that right? I, this is also something that comes from my family. Um, they're going to listen to this and, feel some type of way but growing up in my family maybe it's because both my parents are academics and they just I don't know they're constantly like I don't know why but 
it's just a habit that everybody in my family has where if we hear somebody say something in an interesting way, we can't help but repeat it and repeat it and repeat it until we like mimic it the exact same way that they say it. Not like, not like accents, but more like somebody, I don't know, like just like the cadence of people's voices is really fascinating to us. And so growing up, I got so used to hearing people do that, that now when I'm, you know, obviously I live away from my family in New York now, when I do it, I have to catch myself and say, oh, you, this is not like a thing that people do. You're not supposed to just like look at somebody and imitate what they're saying. But I find that that like act of having, you just like train your ear to listen to other people, not just listen because you're trying to get information, but like listen to what it sounds like when somebody's nervous or when somebody's excited or when somebody's scared or, you know, all these sorts of things. And I think it's like, it's just about being able to, or I think it's about a commitment to being fully present in a conversation and not just present as the person speaking, but as the person listening and observing. Um, I love writing dialogue probably like too much where I have all these super dialogue heavy scenes and then I have to go back and cut them down. But it's just because I love the different ways different people speak. Are both your parents professors? Yeah. Where? Lincoln University. What do they teach? Uh, my dad teaches history and my mom taught education for a while and now she does like administrative education stuff. Interesting. Yeah. Um, you talk about dialogue, but one thing that is really interesting in this film is that you are not afraid of the quiet. Totally. And there's long sections where it's quiet. Yeah. And it's not even just, they're not talking, but the film itself is quiet. Yeah. Um, I you know I don't I think one thing that I always feared as a performative artist was moments of quiet. Mm -hmm. If nobody's talking, the audience is going to get restless. You're going <laughs> to yeah. lose them. Yeah, yeah. What's going on? Um, but you're not afraid. No. Mm -mm. Why not? Um. Because there's a lot happening when people aren't talking, and. That's just like real life. And I think that's why I'm not afraid. I hate when I'm watching a movie and it's like, I know I'm being manipulated to feel something in particular because like the score is moving a certain way or when this thing, ha or this person comes on the screen, the score is moving in this way. And it's just like constant noise. And I feel like I can't just exist with the character. And so it's really important for me in my work to just give or give oral space like give space in the sound landscape of the film for people to exist with the characters because you know I'm not walking around with a scorer scoring my life <laughs> like that's just not what it is so since I want people to feel I want people to feel comfortable with some silence I definitely feel that sense of manipulation and it's almost like cheating that like he's walking in the room but because you're going dun, 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 <laughs> that I'm supposed to be scared. Yeah. But if you didn't have that, then I wouldn't be scared because he's just walking in a room. Yeah. You know, and can you, a, a, a better filmmaker would communicate it visually mm. that I know to be scared because of what I'm seeing and not just cheat it in that like, I threw on this music and now that's going to make you feel love yeah. or fear or sadness or whatever. Yeah, I feel like... It's like I am fine with the manipulation or rather, let me stop saying manipulation. I'm fine. I love when films have a lot of score in them. 
when it's being done because the score is meant to be there. Like the story needs the score at that time. But there's so many films that we watch when we feel the score is there because whatever was there without the score wasn't enough to communicate this emotion. And so that music was just kind of added on in order to make us feel those things. And I'm more interested in what audience members are going to feel when I don't tell them what to feel. Mm. So mm. it's interesting that you can, you're like comfortable with not telling them. Oh yeah. I feel. love that, <laughs> which is really frustrating for some people, but I don't care. But then you have an audience that's like, you know, like going in different ways and like that would, that would unnerve me. I'm like, I don't, I don't know where they're going. I don't know where their attention is. I don't know what they're feeling. Mm -hmm. like, I, that, but you're like, that's good. That's yeah, good. totally. I mean, it's like, <laughs> I think it's, I'm, I'm, my friends are probably the best people to ask about why I do this because I think I'm probably similar in conversation with people, but because I am me, it's harder for me to recognize it, but I'm totally fine with just silence and just, we could just not talk. It's fine. And I think that that's okay. It also probably is because I grew up in a very large family and there was constant noise, so... <laughs> so that makes me even that length of time i'm trying to take it longer and i'm like i'm very uncomfortable the audience is going like say something say something and i heard you i could hear you going like oh now he's not gonna say because he said i want to and i'm like make it longer make it longer I'm like all right now i'm very uncomfortable i can't make it any longer than that yes but this is a specific format and medium so that's fair no i no i, can't, I, can't. I, I mean you know it, it would it would be an interesting almost sort of Andy Warholian thing if I'm like, and now we're just going to be silent for three minutes and see if you guys stick it out with us. I'd I'm be like, so into that. <laughs> <laughs> I would love that. Thanks so much to Tayarisha for a great, fun interview. I really love that one. I hope you can hear that. And thanks to you for listening. And thanks to our super producers, Britt, Jerry Michael Smith, Marcus Harkis, Noel, Sam Montes, and Jason Reynolds. Really appreciate your support. Join us over at patreon.com slash show to get an extra episode every Friday only for Patreon subscribers. And of course, to get more from me and Tayarisha. Torre Show gives you fuel to power your dreams because you can use your dreams like a rocket ship to blast you into a life you never imagined. You can make your dreams a reality, and this show can help. You can find me on Twitter at Torre and on Instagram at Torre Show and on Patreon at patreon.com slash Torre Show. Torre Show is written by me, Torre, and produced by Jackie Garofano. Our editor is Ryan Woodhull. Our photographers are Chuck Marcus and Shanta Covington. Our booker is Claudia Jean, and we're distributed by DCP Entertainment. And we will be back on Friday and on Wednesday with more amazing guests because the man can't shut us down. <laughs> <laughs>